Welcome to the Christian Wealth Podcast, where people come to learn what the Bible says about money, wealth, and business. Be inspired by some of the greatest Christian thinkers and commentators from around the planet. Enjoy this episode with your host, Alex Cook. Alex Cook, the founder of Wealth with Purpose, back with us. Hello, Alex. Welcome back to 2020. Hey, Neil. Great to be with you again. Alex, let's start with some listener questions that have come through, uh, various uh, Facebook posts and uh, ways that people have been able to contact us with a question. One is from Philip. Now, he has a scenario here that I'll put to you. I'll just read the scenario quickly and get your response. Uh, Philip says, Asset rich, income poor. I've been out of work for three months with virtually zero income. Just started a new half-time job, praying I can keep it as it's the most enjoyable job I've had in 35 years. Trouble is, I'm still short by at least $1,500 a month to be able to just pay all of our bills. I'll probably start a downsizing consultancy to help retirees make the transition. My question, however, is where can we safely invest and achieve more, a lot more than 0.1% in savings accounts? There are several warnings about ETFs, real estate, etc. Even 3% would help us enormously. I could try trading shares like PDN, which seem to trade within a 5% range. I could access my super now and pay 15% tax, but where can I put it that's better? What's your response for Philip? Look, it's a fantastic question, and it's probably the number one question uh, that most financial planners, and indeed, I think the financial industry, is having to grapple with. Um, Because what's happened, of course, around the world is interest rates have plummeted. The cash rate, as he said in his email, is down to 0.1 of a percent. And so you're lucky if you get half a percent these days in a term deposit. Um, And so the big dilemma here is how do you get more income without taking undue and unnecessary risks and the 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 stats show us now that someone who was investing back in 1995 could get a return comfortably of around seven percent with not too much risk to get that same return today and i'm not talking just income just talking just overall return um to get that same return now requires three times as much risk in terms of market volatility and so forth. So it's a huge dilemma that all financial planners are grappling with for their clients. How do you get a decent income without taking too much risks? So if we looked at some of the options available to you. Now, the one thing I'd want to reiterate to listeners before I actually give some options here is to make sure that whatever you invest in you make sure you understand it. If you do not understand it and you do not know how it makes its return, then you should not invest in it because there are a plethora of financial products out there um, and they all have different degrees of risk. So it's very important that you understand the pros and cons of any investment and the upsides and the downsides because if you don't understand that, you might find yourself in a product that sounds really good on paper, but you are taking risks uh, that you don't want to take. So very important, make sure you understand what it is you're investing in. Okay, so with that that in mind, what are some of the options available to you? Well, a number of fund managers out there have what we call income funds. So these are funds where they're targeting a particular level of income. Um, 
Uh, and so you should be able to get income returns of around you know three to five percent depending on the type of fund and of course those funds will have different degrees of risk you know they may have a bit of share shares in those portfolios that are giving a bit of extra income but of course they're adding to the volatility um, a solution that we use for our clients is uh, conservative funds um, and there are funds out there um, conservative is a label just usually given to a fund that's multi-sector in nature so it's got a mixture of things in there you know cash and bonds and, and, and shares and so forth. Um, but the one we use in particular targets an income of 4%. And so what we're trying to do here is give clients a reasonable income, but with minimal risk. There, yes, there is a bit of risk in there. There is volatility. Portfolio will go up and down as markets rise and fall. Um, but it means they should be able to get a reasonable degree of income to carry them through. Um, so long as they're got a, a, willing to have at least a sort of medium to long-term approach to it. Um, there are also fixed income funds out there. Now, once again, you have to be careful with these things because you need to understand what type of investment it really is, what's its volatility, etc. But there are fixed income funds that will pay you, you know, income of around, you know, 2%, maybe a little bit more. Um, but they'll have, as I say, varying degrees of risk. And then, of course, there's the share market itself. Now, the share market itself, you're looking at returns uh, on average of around, and when I say returns, I'm talking about income here, income returns of around 3 to 4%. Um, but there are income share funds where they target 6 or 7%. And the way they usually achieve, uh, achieve that is they buy shares, but then they use the options market to get a bit of extra income as well. So there are lots of solutions out there. But as I say, it, it's going to come down to how much risk are you willing to take personally? Okay, that's, and that's a, very much an individual thing. Um, how... Um, uh, do you understand what it is you're investing in? So you understand the upsides and the downsides. You understand how big your time frame needs to be when you're investing in these types of products. So that way you're not entering into a blind because as I say, these days you unfortunately have to take more risk in order to get what you did you know, 10, 20 years ago. Well, uh, thanks so much for that question. Another one that came from Lorraine, and uh, not like Philip, the idea of asset rich, income poor. It sounds like Lorraine's at the other end, uh, asset poor, income poor too. Uh, Lorraine says, I didn't gather that losing so much property and money would leave me poor. How can I manage on nothing when little is all I have? There's not a lot of detail in there, Alex, but uh, what sort of response could you have for Lorraine? Yeah, no, you're right. There's not a lot of detail there. So I'm not fully under, obviously sure what she means. But to, to sort of address um, what I think the, the question is here and is, you know, how do you cope when you have a little? And so I think the first thing here is really just acknowledging that we serve this amazing God who is the ultimate provider. Um, you know, God will not leave his people, uh, you know, destitute. And so we need to trust in God uh, for his provision over our lives and for, for our finances. So that's, I guess, coming at it from the point of view of understanding the spiritual dimension of money, that really everything we have is God's anyway. And even if we have a very, very little amount, we're, we're called to, to steward that well. Um, so to, I guess the word of encouragement is just to, to say, look, understand that God's got your back and that he can be trusted to look after you and provide for you. But then I guess the second component of that is is putting yourself into a position where you are trying to do uh, and put in, in place the right building blocks. And, and the biggest challenge I find that the majority of uh, Australians have is the ability to get their spending under control. 
So knowing how much money is coming to your house, so maybe Lorraine, and once again, we don't know your situation, but maybe you know, you're getting a bit of Centrelink or maybe you're getting a little bit of income, is know how much money is coming into your house and then know how much money is going out in terms of your day-to-day expenditure. And what we want to work out here is do a, you know, a simple budget that says, this is how much I spend each month, this is how much I need. Um, and so what we're trying to do here is get control over our, our spending because ultimately the long-term success for anyone when it comes to money management, regardless of whether they have a little or a lot, is, is simply how we behave with money. How we behave will determine our long-term uh, success with it. And so if we know how much we're spending, we know where we, you know, we know where the money's going, we can then make changes. We know where we can make cutbacks, we know where we can increase it, we know how much we can save, and put in place those really uh, basic building blocks to get ourselves underway. So it's, I'd say really trust God, but, but also in the natural, you need to do your bit, which is to you know, get a good budget in place and look at how you spend your money. Okay, and addressing questions today. So talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. And you can respond to our Ask Alex post on Facebook too, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Hey, we'll take another call in just a moment, Alex, but I want to just introduce this idea of morality around lockdowns. Right now, the severity of lockdowns being experienced by listeners in Sydney. There's restrictions in other cities and states. Australians are divided over lockdowns. On the one hand, you've got critics, say, of the New South Wales Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, saying she waited too long to lock down Sydney. Others are saying lockdowns just don't work. If we're talking about the morality or the immorality of lockdowns, uh, in a nutshell, as we just introduced this, because we'll take a call in just a moment, but uh, what are your thoughts here, Alex? Yeah. Well, look, I, I tend to uh, go on the side that they're, they're immoral. That's my personal sort of position. And that's, uh, look, I, I feel for, for politicians and, and public servants who are the ones having to make these decisions because none of them want to be in the position where all of a sudden the virus runs loose, which I think is ultimately what's going to have to happen anyway because you can't control it ultimately, I don't believe. Um, but once that happens, none of them want to be the one that was responsible for thousands of deaths. And, you know, what we've seen with what's gone on overseas in some, you know, cities and where, you know, thousands of people have passed away. And so that I understand the dilemma that they're facing. And I think that's a huge pressure. And you can see it on Gladys's face. She feels under enormous pressure because on the one hand, um, she's her, her policies are causing huge uh, hardship for people. And this is where I think um, we need to find new ways of dealing with the problem. Uh, I find uh, lockdowns extremely problematic and I'm very concerned about how there's been a lack of sort of proper media investigation into the alternatives and into what's actually what we're actually being told. So we seem to be only counting the cost in terms of the number of cases. Um, there's a little bit talked about occasionally about people who have been hospitalised and passed away. But if you look in Australia, the actual deaths from COVID this year have been tiny. I think it's like two or three people. It's, it's absolutely minuscule. Now, all deaths are bad and we don't want to see anyone suffer. And you, know, and you feel for the families that are affected by those things. But 
the reality is these lockdowns are causing all sorts of other problems that are not being discussed and not being debated. So, I mean, the, one of the obvious ones is suicides, and that has increased dramatically across the country. Um, there's the destruction of businesses. And what people forget, a lot of people go, oh, business versus, you know, live side. But behind every business is someone's life, their, their livelihood, uh, their family, their mortgage, their kids at school, all these sort of things that sit behind a business that is not being discussed. And I was chatting to uh, a coffee shop that I go to regularly, and, and he said because of these lockdowns, his revenue's down 60 to 70%, which means he can't stay in business for a very long time when your revenue's down that much. And, of course, all his staff um, are casual workers who are now getting no income because there's only one or two of them working there, uh, you know, serving coffee because that's all they're allowed to do. So... This has an enormous flow-through effect to people's lives. There's, of course, the separation of families, and this is one of the problems I have with the state border closures. Alex, there's lots on the list, and we might not get through all of the problems that are associated with lockdowns, but uh, we've got a question or two coming through, and time is running short. Let me just take a call or two, and we'll uh, see if we can get uh, quick questions, quick responses. Uh, Let's hear from Cindy, who is in Victoria. Hi, Cindy. Welcome. Hello. Um, i got a question. Is there a no-interest loan for vet emergencies for after hours? And vets demand their money on the day. They won't wait. And, um, you know, a lot of things you have to sign papers beforehand. Is there an emergency fund like this with no interest? Because vets say if you've got to borrow through the vet, 20% on top of what you're already paying. And I had the tragedy of my dog dying at 12 years old. You know, it was his time to go. It's terrible, you know, couldn't talk for weeks, the heart broken. Um, and the price, because it happens after hours and it happens on the weekend, not during business hours, so the price triples. It went from 114 to 500 If it was during business hours, that's how much. After hours, is 500 Cindy, you're raising an important point here, and particularly for pet lovers. uh, Mm. Response for Cindy, Alex. Yeah, look, that's a great uh, great question. Look, I'm not familiar with uh, uh, interest-free loans that people can use for the purposes of a vet. Um, However, um, to me, this raises, I guess, a bigger question, is that in life... We should always prepare for, I guess, the unexpected. And, and this is a great one in, in the sense it's a very common one, you know, where people have their, their pet that they love and, of course, the pet gets sick and then there's a huge medical bill and vets <laughs> vets can charge a fortune uh, for some of these things that, that animals need treated, treatment for. So the solution to me is more that we prepare in advance by having emergency reserves. So if you talk to any financial planner... They'll all say you should have somewhere between three to six months worth of reserves um, or three to six months worth of living expenses as reserves. Um, and that way, when things like this happen, such as, you know, your, uh, your loved ones, uh, your loved pets, that is, require treatment and so forth, you've got the money there and you're not having to go into debt in order to do it. Because one of the things we want to avoid is going into debt where you're having to pay interest, which is obviously uh, dead money. Uh, and when you're having to pay it back, potentially over long periods of time, and that can have all sorts of negative long-term impacts on your finances. So to me, 
It's more about being on the front foot and having reserves for a rainy day when unexpected things happen. Because it might not just be your pets, it could be yourself, your own health, and other things uh, like that uh, for which you need uh, cash quickly. Okay, Cindy, thank you so much for your call. And let's take one more call. Wayne is in Mackay in Queensland. Hello, Wayne. Welcome along. Hey, how are you, mate? Good. Hey, um, out of everything I've heard there, um, I've been in this. I know there's different horses for different courses there. Um, I, you've got to do your due diligence and your research and whatever you get into. But what about the cryptocurrency side of things, mate? Alex. Uh, it's a look, yeah, look, great question. And obviously it's a very uh, hot topic in the last couple of months with the um, uh, cryptocurrencies. Uh, I mean, they have enormous volatility. Um, so look, he, I guess here's my perspective on it. The, it's a fascinating technology, the, black, the blockchain technology. Um, so it's a really interesting space. And I think digital currencies are certainly going to be around for, for the long term. Um, whether they, things like Bitcoin and many of these other cryptos, whether they survive or not, I think is very questionable. But there's no question that the central banks themselves are all exploring and doing significant development around digital currency. So I think you can assume that they're going to be around for the long term. In saying that, from a point of view of a listener and whether they're thinking about you know, dipping their toe in the water into cryptocurrency, I would uh, urge extreme caution. Uh, at the end of the day, they are highly speculative. Um, many people are buying them simply for one reason, and that is that they're going up in value. Um, but the thing is, they're very volatile. Um, often they fall, they will fall 10 to 20% in a day. So let's say you put you know five grand in and you've lost $1,000 in a single day. Most people can't stomach that. Um, and so I think, and I would strongly urge extreme caution. Um, and I'd say if you are going to dip your toe into these things, then you should do a tiny, tiny portion of your capital and only money that you're willing to accept uh, that you might lose. Um, because I think there's a bigger question here, and that's the Christian stewardship issue. Uh, if the money that we have is in fact God's, should we be speculating at all? And that's where I think um, we do need to sort of be very reflective uh, and be very careful of these things because they are um, they are very volatile. And uh, what I don't want pe- people is to find themselves in a situation where they're exposing themselves to unnecessary risk and they're harming their families because they've um, put money into something that is extreme, extremely volatile, as cryptocurrencies have proven to be so far. Okay, Wayne, thank you so much for your call. Uh, a line under those calls for now. Hey, we've been just uh, talking about lockdowns, the morality of those. Uh, you suggest that there is an immorality about lockdowns. Uh, the idea of uh, suicides on an increase, of businesses being destroyed, uh, separation for families. There's a whole bunch of other issues around mental illness, uh, people being isolated, uh, people losing their jobs, uh, loss of personal and civil liberties, uh, the increase in debt. All of those things are really important considerations if you're making a uh, an assessment of lockdowns, Alex. But I'm wondering whether we can touch on, and very quickly, because we've run out of time, the idea that there might be people right now who are suffering as a result of lockdowns. Uh, what should they do so far as finances go? Is there some way to think about your finances when this is a tough time upon us? Oh, look, absolutely. Um, well, first thing I'd, I'd say to anyone listening who's found themselves in this difficult situation is ask for help. 
okay? There are organisations out there who are willing to help. So if some people will find themselves in increased debt as a result of this, you know, they've had to put their life on a credit card because all of a sudden, you know, their income hasn't come in. So f uh, firstly, reach out to organisations, you know, like Christians Against Poverty and people like that, who may be able to help you if you've now find yourself in a debt trap. Um, the second thing, of course, is be very aware of the government programs that are available to you that may um, support, because New South Wales just announced some uh, the other day. So if you're listening to this, you're in New South Wales and you've um, you've been affected, then, then do so. Um, also, I think this is a, a real opportunity, I just think from a Christian perspective, for churches to reach out and help people who they know are hurting. It might be people in your own congregation, or it might be people in your local community who are affected. Um, and I, I would say to, to people listening, if you know businesses in your area that are affected negatively by, um, by all of this, is go out and uh, spend money in these places because ultimately that's what helps uh, keep them going. You know, we're, we want to make sure that um, we're, we're all in, in this, particularly as believers, we have a responsibility to you know, help people through as much as we possibly can, um, allowing for the fact that these government policies are doing a lot of damage. Um, but we've got an opportunity to help here and shine the light um, and, of course, share the good news with people at the same time because uh, uh, that's what people really ultimately need far more than they need money. Well, Alex Cook, always good insights, and there's so much more we could talk about so far as the morality of lockdowns. We'll have to put a line under it for today, but, uh, Alex, thanks so much for participating in this Ask Alex segment. Uh, just for listeners, uh, to connect with Alex Cook, there's a website, wealthwithpurpose.com, where you can get free eBooks, the My Toolkit, free videos and podcast content. And if you're wondering about this idea of stewardship, uh, that God owns all of our money, well, then you might want to be in touch with Alex Cook, wealthwithpurpose.com. You can also follow Alex on Facebook and on Twitter. There's also an email you can use directly for our Ask Alex segment. It's askalex at wealthwithpurpose.com. Alex, thanks so much for the update today on 2020. My pleasure. Thanks, Neil.